Welcome everybody to this week's Mindful Social, where we talk with people who have a mindful approach to how they do business. And this week, I'm really happy to have D. Scott Smith with me. And he's got some really interesting ideas to share with us. So, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, Scott? Yeah, sure. So, um, so my, my edu- education wise, um, I have an undergraduate in uh, business and finance with a minor in uh, behavioral sciences. So psychology, sociology, cultural anthropology, uh, turns out that's been very helpful in business. Uh, the individuals are groups and how we relate to each other. Um, and then I went on to get a master's degree also in business management sciences, but uh, spent uh, four years in accounting doing taxes for a lot of small businesses. Uh, that's how I helped pay for my way through college. And then uh, got involved in banking, was spent uh, 12 years in banking, again, working with uh, lots and lots of small businesses. And I'll tell you, 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 you get to see the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. And there are people that you could tell it didn't matter what a segment, what industry, what business they were in, they would run a good business. And then I met people that uh, really had no business being in business. <laughs> you know, just go, go work for somebody. And it's fine, right? I mean, everybody's got a spot. Um, so I spent 12 years there. Then I, uh, I got recruited to manage the credit union at Hewlett Packard. So I went in and did that. And uh, um, through that, I was, in the master, I was in the master's program, and one of the guys in my cohort was a business analyst in the factory supply chain. He says, oh, we've got this job open. You should apply for it. So uh, after spending all this time in financial services, I went in to manage an automated warehouse in a handful of people. I ended up managing supply chain operations for the Corvallis and San Diego sites at Hewlett Packard. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. Got to see a lot of different things, a lot of uh, the technology development. Uh, it'd be fun. People would say, oh, have you seen this? And it's like, yeah, we saw that three years ago. You should <laughs> see what they're doing today. So that was great. Um, I left Hewlett-Packard 10 years ago. Um, it's hard to believe, but time goes fast. And uh, got involved in small businesses, did a couple of turnarounds. Um, one that was a uh, family-owned manufacturing business and uh, turned that around so they could sell it to investors and then got involved with uh, uh, an agricultural company that focused on soil microbiology, had uh, a lab, did some consulting, uh, sold products uh, in the lab services that um, was, I spent about four years there. We had to do a lot, there was a lot of work to change that company around and uh, did that. Uh, ended up spending uh, six months as an interim general manager for a company that made uh, upholstered furniture. Mm. Basically, we basically sold 90% of our work to Ikea. So we essentially an Ikea manufacturer and, and Costco was, uh, mm. and then um, uh, custom furniture for like uh, retirement homes, hotels, that type of thing. But uh, the bulk of the work was with Ikea. That ended, and uh, I was looking for the next gig. Uh, having learned to use social media to promote businesses at the ag company uh, and training consultants that we worked with, uh, I finished up the deal at the sofa manufacturer. A friend of mine was on the board with a radio station. Their general manager was saying, oh, we need help with social media. You should talk to Scott, she said. 
<laughs> so they contracted me and about a, within a month, I had three companies that uh, were paying me to, to uh, do social media with them. And I told my wife, I guess it's a business now. <laughs> so, you know, we would like to think life is more intentional than it is, but uh, there we were. And I had been doing consulting with uh, different companies and stuff. And so it was just, uh, it was a natural fit. Mm, mm. Well, you have worn a lot of hats. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it all comes down to people and process. Mm. So that there's, you know, it seems like different industries, financial services, manufacturing, uh, ag, sofas, um, but it's still all people and process. Mm. So what kind of commonalities do you find between those? And, and explain a little bit more about people and process. Yeah, sure. Well, it's interesting. Um, and, and I know we'll get into the motivational listening and we'll talk about what that what that means and how I arrived at that. But um, so, you, you know, it is the people that do all of the work and it doesn't matter whether they're uh, on the org chart, they sit at the top and are responsible for a lot of different aspects of it. Or if they're a frontline individual contributor who has a very focused uh, specialty and expertise, they, they just need to be able to get the work done. So getting all the junk out of their way so they can focus in on what it is that they do. So for that top level executive, um, making sure that they're able to delegate and focus on the, the strategic and tactical, strategic at the best, you know, the most. Um, and then for those frontline employees, that they're not hindered by all of the corporate or uh, uh, so we, we call it the, uh, the inglorious mechanics of business, right? Right. Um, and they focus in on getting done what they need to do. And then, you know, process is, um, there's, a, there's a great um, concept in project management. It's a SIPOC is what they call it. So a supplier, input, process, output, and customer. And so it's a continuous change. So wherever you sit, you have a supplier, right? Someone provides you information or product or whatever it is. Um, and that's the, you know, that person provides you that input. You have a process. So what is it that you do that adds value to it? And that becomes your output. And it in turn goes to your customer. Now, if you're a freelance person, you may have a, you know, a customer, they ask, they have a request you create your graphic design or whatever it is, that's your output, and then you give it to them. Mm -hmm. It could be that you're an accountant within a company, and so you get this information out of the general ledger, you process it into uh, financial statements, and you put that out to senior management to the board of directors, right? And uh, the board of directors then, uh, you're the supplier, they have that input, which is your balance sheets. They have a process to examine it and so forth. And they may then in turn, uh, their customer could be uh, investors, right? Shareholders. So this is, there's this continuous chain of this SIPOC, supplier, input, process, output, customer. And knowing where you fit within that value chain is very important. And as we, we, we look into this, um, and we'll talk about really what people's greatest fear is, um, 
you want to know that you're making contributions. Yeah. So that's people in process. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting how it really doesn't matter what you've done. And, and I've worn a lot of hats and had a lot of different positions over a long time. And <laughs> it really is true that, you know, you carry a certain integrity, but also a certain understanding of how each business works differently. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things that I found really interesting, we talked before the show was about what you were talking about motivational listening. And I, I'd love to get into how that works in the workplace. Particularly. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, what does that mean? And how do we, <laughs> So the so motivational listening, if you if you if you look at it really the 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 basic concept is for the speaker to exit a conversation feeling better about themselves than when they entered. Mm. And so um and 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 I have to give credit, so my wife actually created that term as far as I know. Somebody asked her one time what she did, and very accurately she said, oh, I'm a motivational listener. Mm. I said, Christine, I love that. I will give you full credit, but I'm stealing that. <laughs> and, um, and then it, it goes back to some stuff that I, a, a commitment I made in December of, of 2011, because what I found was that people often forget uh, how remarkable they are, right? That the, the knowledge and expertise that they have, uh, because they're so familiar with it, it feels like it's common knowledge, but it's not common. Mm -hmm. And so I had made this commitment to remind people how remarkable they are. And then over the time, I, I, I refined this. And, um, and, and really, motivational listening then becomes uh, a process to show people and to remind people what they know is valuable. Mm. And so, um, so one of the things I say is, you know, we're talking about um, people feeling like they're making a contribution. So where they fit within that value chain. So the, the story I tell is about a, about a prison where the, 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 the cell had this window that looked out on the prison yard where there's a pile of gravel. And the prisoner every day had to go out and move that pile of gravel from one side of the yard to the other and then back again and just keep doing that, right? And so the punishment wasn't the physical labor of moving the gravel, the punishment was that that window looked out onto that yard and the prisoner saw that all of the labor, sweat, effort was for nothing, was meaningless, right? And so what I say is that our greatest fear is not pain or loss, but it is irrelevance. Mm. And so when an employee sits within a company and they don't see how they contribute to the long-term goals, to the mission of the company, that they can feel like that prisoner that, I, you know, I just move a pile of gravel from here to there and back again. I move this piece of paper from here to there and have no clue as to how they fit within the organization or that the knowledge and the expertise that they have is valuable. Mm. And it also works the same for business owners um, and, and freelancers, right? so that we get so accustomed to what it is that we do that we forget how valuable that is. And so uh, people undervalue themselves. So they, they set rates that are low because they go, well, 
why would someone pay a hundred dollars an hour for this mm-hmm. or two hundred dollars yeah. an hour or whatever it is? And so they go, well, and then they look at their rates and they go, oh well, fifteen dollars an hour that looks good until you do the math. But it's because they're undervaluing uh, what it is that they that they do. So if if we can um, help the employees, if we can help ourselves and our, our workmates and so forth, understand that the knowledge in, that they have is valuable and is indeed remarkable, then they can feel better about themselves. They can set rates that are appropriate. Um, the, the employees can be engaged in the workplace and not feel like they're irrelevant. Mm. Well, let's talk about that from a business owner or a manager's standpoint and, and empowering their employees, for example. How can a manager use motivational listening to really help people feel like they are part of the business, that they're not just an unimportant cog in the world? Oh, that's great. Paper? Yeah. So a, big, so a big part of this is really to understand the biology of how this works, right? Mm-hmm. So, this is, so this is really founded in brain science. So what happens is um, when, when we learn, we operate in the prefrontal cortex, part of our brain. This is where we house uh, short-term memory and, and where learning occurs. And it's a very high-energy part of our brain. So it uses a lot of glucose, right? That's the sugar in your blood that, that feeds your brain. Mm-hmm. And so um, when you go to a workshop and you spend all day in class uh, and you're learning, the whole, you know, eight hours, you're sitting there and they're just feeding you all this information, you're taking notes, you're operating in the prefrontal cortex. So you're burning off a lot of that glucose and you get back to your home or your hotel room that night and you know, it's five o'clock and you're physically worn out. You're just beat, right? Mm-hmm. You're thinking, how can I be so tired? I've been sitting on my butt for eight hours. And yet it's because you've been, you've been operating that, that part of your brain, right? So uh, as we continue to learn, uh, uh, repeat processes, then those, we actually form new neural pathways within our brain. So those tasks, which we're taking a lot of energy, become hardwired into our brain. And so the example is, is when you were learning how to drive, you had to think about everything, right? Um, turn signals, mirrors, gear shift, looking out, let, you know, ahead, behind, left, right, all these things. You know, you don't want anyone talking to you. You don't want the radio on. You have to focus. Sure. Prefrontal cortex, right? Now, uh, you know, Jana, we'll finish this uh, conversation and you may go out, get into the car, and go off somewhere, and you don't have to look and think, okay, let's see, where does the key go? Okay, I put the key in here, and then now do I turn it left or right? I mean, you're going to hop in the car. It's automatic. You're going to drive. You're going to get from here to the destination, and you're going to think, you know, there's a four-way stop uh, between uh, this my, where I started my destination, and I'm pretty sure I stopped, but I don't remember, right? <laughs> because you're working off that hardwired, this is neuroplasticity. Mm. So we used to think that the brain stopped development around age 20 or so. Uh, but it turns out we can continue to develop new neural pathways, right? So, uh, so that's part of the biology. So it moves into a, a, the long-term 
uh, memory, those new neural pathways form in an area called the basal ganglia. And this is very low energy. So you don't need to think about it. You can just drive and you can think about, oh, that conversation I had with Scott or what I'm going to have for lunch, what I'm going to do tomorrow, right? Um, then there's one more part of the brain that you need to think about, and that's the orbital frontal cortex. And this is right above, behind your eyeballs, and it's an error, error detection center. So um, when you're driving down that road and that squirrel runs out in front of your car, all of a sudden you're focused on that, right? Uh, you don't want to hit the squirrel, but you also don't want to swerve off the road. You don't want to hit the car coming onto you, right? So mm -hmm. all of your brain now focuses on that. You can't be thinking about the conversation that you had about what you're going to do. You're focused, okay? So this is, and interestingly enough, that part of your brain is also responsible for uh, vocal and face recognition. Hmm. So, uh, and these are all things that come together. So what happens is um, when uh, we have employees or ourselves, and we have spent literally years and lots of hard dollars, trial and error, acquiring the knowledge and expertise that we have, or that our employees have, um, it becomes hardwired into our brain. Mm. And, and it seems like it's common knowledge. So if you ask a person uh, that's an expert in, in coding, you know, for web or something like that, right? And you go, okay, uh, I need to be able to add payment processing into my website. And they just breathe out the, literally just breathe out these answers. Mm -hmm. They're not going to the reference books. They're not looking it up on Google. They just, whoosh, out comes the answer, right? Right. And they're like, I mean, doesn't everyone know that? Doesn't everyone know how to add payment processing into a website? Sure, it's simple. Be because they do it every day. <laughs> right. And they forget. They didn't wake up. They weren't born knowing how to add payment processing into a website, mm -hmm. right? And so they kind of get jaded or, uh, you know, they just forget that this is not common knowledge. So as, uh, as a, uh, a manager, as the leader, um, then what you want to do is you want to help them realize how important it is what they do, right? And so there's a, so the, the, the process is basically, um, there's, there's four parts, right? So you're going to trigger the cognitive functions. So you, you uh, well, one of the interesting things is, is that um, studies show we daydream between 30 and 50% of our waking hours, mm. right? And this is just because our brain can process so much information, right? So, uh, and, and so I'm driving down the road, I'm driving and doing all those things and thinking about all this other stuff. Or if you have a 10 minute conversation with somebody, uh, they're daydreaming half the time mm -hmm. and it's not bad. It's just the way it is. Right. But if oh, you I trigger that orbital frontal cortex, right. Um, you focus that attention in now and they're not thinking about other things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so triggering cognitive functions Take the person on a conversational journey, and then uh, you want to differentiate, differentiate between result and motivation, and then you sum all this up and remind them that they're remarkable, right? So when we're triggering the cognitive functions, uh, and, and I encourage people to try this out, 
go to the gro when you're at the grocery store when you're checking out at any store uh, they will ask you um, expected questions uh, did you find everything you're looking for how's your day oh the weather's changing oh it's what it's all expected stuff right mm -hmm. and so this does not activate your orbital frontal cortex you can continue to you can answer them and still be thinking about what you're going to do with the groceries that you've got where you've got to be trying to remember now did, where did i park in the parking lot and all this stuff and you're like yeah i found everything i'm good it's a great day here's my card whatever right <laughs> um and so uh this is what i want you to try uh try to activate their orbital frontal cortex, break them out of their daydream, because they're daydreaming as well, right? Yeah. Um, this is the question that I like to ask. How's your world? Hmm. Okay, so it's not weird, right? It's not a weird question. I'm not being uh, obnoxious or Pretty. anything. <laughs> you know, you're just going, you know, so instead of saying that to asking that cashier, how's your day? Mm -hmm. uh, which is an expected question, they can say it's fine, right? Yeah. You ask them, um, how's your world? What's going on in your world? So what that does is they have to interpret, right? So this is like, this is an unexpected question. It causes mm -hmm. them to focus. And they're going, now they have to interpret and go, what is my world? Is my world just this job, this store? Um, the answers you get will be very interesting. And you can engage people that way because now you've, you've caused them to focus, right? Mm. You can do the same thing with your employees, you know, just be a little bit unexpected. Break the, break their uh, daydreaming cycle for a moment and allow them to focus in on that conversation. Now, the next step is taking them on a conversational journey. So in this case, uh, when you meet people for the first time, this is a great opportunity. Um, when you're working with your employees, it's still... How did you become a coder? How did you get to this? Why did you choose that? What was the education that you did to do that? And as they explain all of these things, what you're doing is you're shining the light back on their experience. Oh, I spent four years at Stanford. I worked at this company. I created these websites. These are all the things that remind them this was not an easy journey. You know, and then they'll talk about, oh, the website that I blew up and shopping was down for a number of days. <laughs> this is how I had to come in and rescue it and all these things, right? Trial mm -hmm. and error. Um, workshops that they went to, th you know, all the, they paid money. They went through all this. You're reminded, when you take them on that journey, you're going, wow, you spent four years at Stanford. You worked eight years for this company. You fixed this problem. You did all those things. You're bringing it back up and shining the light on it for them. Mm. Right. And um, now you differentiate between result and motivation, because if I ask somebody, how did you become a coder or, you know, why did you, you know, what, what are you doing now? What's going on in your world? And they say, oh, I'm a coder. OK, that's a result. Right. Oh, I'm a teacher. OK, that's a result. There's some motivation behind that. Why did they choose to do that? Mm. Right. So uh, a teacher might say, you know, they'll go through the ABCs and, and teach reading because they realize that's going to unlock the potential of that child. That's the motivation. So a simple example I give is, is so if you walk into a room and you say, hey, Scott, what are you doing? And I'm making a peanut butter sandwich. I say, well, I'm making a peanut butter sandwich. 
I've got the jar, I've got the peanut butter, I've got the bread. And you'll say, wow, Scott is a sandwich maker. He, he loves peanut butter, right? What you're looking at is a result. Mm-hmm. What's the motivation? Mm-hmm. I'm hungry, <laughs> right? I just, want, I just want a sandwich. So um, when, you, when you're talking to your employees too, it's just like, what's the motivation? What do they like about this? So if they're a tax accountant, it might be the order and logic that comes out of all the chaos of a big shoebox full of receipts that someone brings, right? These are the, that's the, it's not, they don't want to dig through your receipts. That's not the joy. But when it's all ordered and, and, and it makes sense and there's a logic, mm-hmm. that, that's a great motivation. Mm. So differentiating between the result, which is what people tell you, and the motivation, that's what you have to divine, right? You have to sit and you have to bring that out. Now you can come back and you can sum all of this stuff up, right? And, and, um, and you're going to remind them that they're remarkable, right? So uh, I might talk to somebody that does podcasts and say, so what are you doing? Oh, I do this podcast, I get this mindful social. We talk to people that, you know, are involved in these different things. And we post it to these different sites and I use this, I use a Zoom recording and so forth, right? That's all result. The motivation might be, I get to, I get to share these stories with people that wouldn't have otherwise heard that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so we get to shine the light on that and say, I mean, you know, and I could literally say this, Janet Fouts, you are remarkable, Aww. right? So- so it's really asking the why. That's what it really comes down to, right? Is um, so when I work with businesses, uh, one of the things that we do is we look at what I like the we believe statements. Mm. So um, so as a co-founder in a, on a, a company called Pajagle, and uh, it was a board physical board game. We had different products, mm-hmm. uh, but it started with this physical board game. And uh, one of the products we had used these, um, well, it was, it was uh, imagine you have uh, foam hexagons that are about 18 inches across with puzzle wings cut out of them. So they interlock so you can make these mm-hmm. big mats. And from the center, you've got star gear and flower shapes that are cut out, 19 different shapes. And then you've got two sets of 19 pieces, blue and black. Mm-hmm. And so you can you can build these things into different shapes. You can pull the centers out. You can, and so um, we created different games that you could play with that. So we're up at this school doing a, uh, a benefit form. So we brought up big Pajagle sports set is what we called it, Pajagle sport. We brought it up there and we're playing different games with the kids. We had a, a very cooperative game called fling uh, where they literally just throw all the pieces across the schoolyard. Then they've got to bring them all together assemble the mat, fill it all up, pick the whole thing up and move it from one side of the, of the, to, to another, right? Mm-hmm. Very cooperative game. Yeah. Then we're playing another game, which was very competitive called, uh, we called Rush. It was somewhere between ultimate Frisbee, capture the flag and tag. Okay. And so um, I won't go into the details of the game, but it's very fast, very competitive. Everyone's involved in it. Mm. So this mother comes over and says, oh, this is a great game. What is it? And so those of us that have followed Simon Sinek, right, we understand, start with why. What's the interior? 
then how you do things, and then what on the outside, right? Mm -hmm. And so she goes, oh, this is a great game. What is it? I could say, oh, this is Pajagal Sport. It uh, retails for $600, and um, the kids are playing um, Rush, right? Mm -hmm. But what I did is I started with the, you know, we believe mm. statements, that why. So I said, you know, so at Pajago, we believe that people want to be together. They want to do things together, sometimes cooperatively, sometimes competitively, right? So that's why. Mm -hmm. Every game that we build has multiple ways to play, always giving you ways to be competitive and cooperative. Earlier, now we're off to the what? Earlier you saw them playing uh, Fling, very cooperative game. Right now they're playing Rush, very competitive, fast-paced game. Those kids are sweating, having a great time. Mm -hmm. So this is Pajankle Sport, retails for $599. Her and another mother wrote checks that night to buy that set for the school. Right? Wow. So we start with that, what's the motivation, right? So you have an employee that's sitting in the middle of your company doing work. That's a result. Why do they do that? Now, what, what encourages them to, why do they look forward to Mondays? And, and we ought to look forward to Mondays because, again, we don't want irrelevance. That's our greatest fear, mm. that the work that I do is just moving gravel from one side of the yard to the other and then back again. I, I came in as a what the, one of the companies that I turned around. They, when I first got there, so I came in as COO, one of the things that, um, that I saw was this big stack of papers on the off, uh, the operations manager's desk and they were uh, production reports from every person in that for every day mm -hmm. and um, then they're just sitting there on the desk so every day the shop lead would gather these papers up from all the people and bring them in and put them on this stack <laughs> and then the next day and then the next day and the next day and I came in, I looked at it, so what are these? Well, we're just collecting the, you know, every person tells us how much production they had of the various products during that day. So what do you do with the information? Nothing. Mm -hmm. They didn't put it into a spreadsheet. They weren't tracking it by product or by, or, you know, hours worked versus uh, production uh, completed and whatnot. It was just, Every, you work. know, they bring it in and they know mm. I'm gathering this work for no benefit. I'm mm. like, shred them, throw away, put them in your file, do something with it or stop, stop gathering this information it. because they know that you as a manager are giving them an irrelevant task. Mm -hmm. Right. So these are the, so this is the process that we want to do that we want to remind people how remarkable they are and where they fit within the mission of the organization. Wow, that's really great. You know, I, I think that there's a tremendous number of people who are really stuck, you know, in that kind of building that stack of papers and knowing that there's no point to it. But at the same time, they don't want to stop because the boss told them to do it. There's not oh, a absolutely. thought process there because they're so embedded in their jobs, they're not even in the room anymore, right? That's right, that's right. That's yeah. really sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, um, 
you know, uh, so motivational listening as a, as a skill, as you go through these uh, steps, mm-hmm. you can use it to motivate yourself, right? Remind yourself that, you know what? I'm pretty remarkable. Mm. I provide value because, you know, as we look at in a business, um, there's only three things you need for a business, but all three of them have to be present. A problem, a solution, and someone willing to pay for it, <laughs> right? And as I work with businesses, I go, you know, it's a troubled world out there. Mm-hmm. Those people have problems, and they're desperately looking for solutions, and you, can, you provide that solution, and it's valuable. I mean, they have a problem, and they're willing to pay you for it. Mm-hmm. Let them pay you based on the value don't, don't, don't charge them 15 bucks an hour. I mean, that's just, that, I mean, that's, that's devaluing yourself. It is. And that is not, that's not honoring what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? That's true. And so, um, so this is, so you can motivate yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can motivate your employees, right? Remind them they are not irrelevant. They are an important part of the mission of this organization. And then you can train your employees to in turn use motivational listening with the customers, Mm. right? Because remember, they have a problem and you're solving it. And they're probably very good at what they do and they use your products or services or whatever to further what they do. Mm -hmm. So if your employees who are interacting with your customers or vendors, suppliers, business partners, um, and you're saying, oh my gosh, you guys are remarkable. What you do is outstanding. You have these, these customers with these problems and they come to you and you make their life better without working with you. Their life is hell, right? But they come to you and you solve it. Mm-hmm. And then you, your employees then in turn build those relationships with the customers. And, and then when things go wrong, because things go wrong, they're not going to just bolt away from your company because they, they're tied into you. Um, So these are the, these are the ways that we can um, use this to, to strengthen and build those relationships. So we can uh, motivate and encourage ourselves, our employees and our customers. Well, I'm, I have to say, I'm really in love with this concept and, you know, as someone who is not a good networker um, and maybe, doesn't actually take full responsibility for all of the skill sets that you know I've developed over the years. I just am really in love with the concept, and I, I think that people can really use this, which is fabulous. Oh, that's great! Yeah, yeah. That's it, you talk about networking. Business networking is a great place for motivational listening. Mm. So um, I'll be practicing I, tomorrow. I, I actually have a course on on uh, Udemy about oh, this uh, motivational listening for business networking mm-hmm. uh, the subtitle is uh, be interesting by being interested mm. and it's uh, it doesn't require being an extrovert and it's not limited by being an introvert um, but it's just understanding what the what the goal is is that you're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. so when I go to networking events um, I try to go in with only five business cards or very limited number because my goal is, is not to get a business card into everybody's hand. My goal is to build a relationship with an advocate mm-hmm. for at least one person, maybe up to five. But realistically, if I can just meet that one person and, and get to know them, 
and I'm using motivational listening. I'm not there to sell and promote myself. Mm-hmm. I use motivational listening to, to, to go, you know, if I meet you and I say, Oh, Janet, what are you up to? You know, what's going on in your world? And we go through this whole process. And the reason I'll tell you, the reason why I chose the subtitle be interesting by being interested mm-hmm. was specifically from an interaction I had at a, um, uh, at a networking event a while back where I'm going through this process. I, so I meet this lady and she's, she runs this framing business and I, you know, I'm kind of asking how she got involved in it and she's telling me about this and that. And she also does uh, art restoration. And I'm like, Oh, so you must be an artist as well. Right. Because you can't just do restoration. And this is for smoke damaged or uh, mm-hmm. fire damaged pictures and stuff and uh, water damage. And then I ask her some more questions and turns out that her brother, you know, she's telling me her brother was this great artist. He died at like 52 years old from lung cancer because of the solvents. And he was a heavy smoker. And, um, and so as we're, and, and this is like in a two minute time frame. And then uh, some friend of hers is walking past and she grabs that person by the arm, literally grabs the person by the arm and says, you have got to meet this person, this very interesting man. And I'm like, you don't know anything about me. <laughs> you were really interested. But I know a lot about her. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is, a, this, is an important, this is an important part of our networking. Yeah. And so this is a, a hard skill set that um, we, need to, we need to employ. So if you own a business, you have to do networking. Mm-hmm. Uh, many employees, it's a job requirement. All right. You're, you're going to go to and represent us at the Chamber of Commerce, or you're going to this trade show, but we don't teach people how to network. No, we assume that everybody knows how to do it, and that they hate it at the same time. Yeah, and so you go to the trade show, and you see the employees sitting back there on their phone uh, trying to hide, mm-hmm. <laughs> not engage with people, because they don't really know. And it's not because they're bad people or lazy. It's just we put them in a situation without training. Right. That's right. Wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I did promise you that we would end in 30 minutes and I know we could talk for a long time. But <laughs> there's I, always more. There's always, <laughs> there, there's always more. And I will uh, share the link to your course and Udemy and the blog post, but why don't you let people know how else they can get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I'd love to, to, to speak. I was just uh, actually on uh, Monday spoke about, motivational listening and I'll be um, uh, uh, presenting it again next week at another uh, boost biz. It's a different uh, workshop that's going on. Uh, I also talk about intentional change because uh, as, as the way I started my business was uh, kind of unintentional. Uh, we would like to think that life is more uh, intentional than it is, uh, but it turns out it's not. Uh, so I talk about a seven-step process with intentional change, so I can speak about that. I also do workshops for groups uh, and provide personalized coaching. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can find out more at dscottsmith.co, uh, not com. So dscottsmith.co, all one, one run on. And then uh, I also uh, have a heart for freelancers because they're the CEO, CFO, CMO. I mean, they're everything, right? Operations, sales, marketing, product delivery, product development, uh, customer service, taxes, finance, everything, right? They've got to do it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So uh, I've got a joint venture with another Scott, Scott Weaver, at oneunifiedstrategy.com, all one run-on word again. So dscottsmith.co and oneunifiedstrategy.com. Those are great places to connect. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter is my favorite platform. So uh, D underscore Scott, you can find me there. And um, I'd love to just connect and uh, provide value where I can. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. And I, I will include those links on the blog post. And just to let people know, this will be on the podcast on Spreaker. It'll be on iTunes. It'll be all over the place. And you can also find it on my website, JanetFouts.com. So please take a look at that and subscribe. We always love subscribers and we love comments. So please let us know what you thought about the show. Thanks so much, Scott. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Janet. It's just, just fabulous talking with you. Yeah, you too. Have a great rest of your day, folks.